Under your butt. I'm of course surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jay Park. Welcome to it. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. This is a song I was playing Saturday. Ever feel kind of down and out you don't know just what to do. Gil Scott Huron. Big man, that's cool. Yeah. song is Lady Day and John Coltrane. And if you mm. don't get a That, man. Some say he's like a proto-rapper. Like, th- that's all his own band. It's his original band. Um, and he wanted to call himself I'm a Poet, because he sings a little bit and does sort of the talk-sing thing, but uh, Gil Scott Huron, somebody turned me on to Brandon, who's been on the show once, um, works on Yo! 100.5. He hit me to Gil Scott Huron and great stuff. And on the show tonight, I'm being rude, is Seth Spotlow. Hey, Seth, what's hey, up? Welcome back. Yeah, thank you, sir. So, how you doing? I'm uh, hanging in there, man. I'm, I made it. Yeah? I made it. Pawned my kid off on some grandparents. You're right, right. How was Rose? She's great. She was so happy to see me. On the way over here, I gave her a juice, and it was oh. blue, and I didn't think about it, and oh, she drank God. the whole thing, and I looked back there, and I saw some blue in her mouth, and I'm driving down there and say, open your mouth, open your mouth, trying to stick my finger in her mouth, then I figured out it was her tongue. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It just stains everything. I know. I thought she was sucking on something. I was mm-hmm. like, oh. Do they still do the the Sunny D? The kids like the Sunny D. Oh, these she days? loves it, man. What about a Capri Sun? Oh yeah, she's all about it. High little high C's in the box. Oh yeah. And I, I'm trying to turn her on to Tang. Tang. I love Tang. Yeah. I still I I admit, especially on the right occasion, I'll eat a Lunchable. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. Pizzas. Oh. Well, and some fancy companies are getting into the Lunchable game. Like, like who? Boar's Head. Really? They have a snack pack, they oh. call it, that's like high-quality cheese and meats and crackers, and it's a little more expensive than your run-of-the-mill Lunchable, but it's damn good. Hey, you pay for what you get. Yeah, I mean, and when you go a day, you know, kayaking on the Kusa, Ooh. go float the Kusa, have a few beers in the, the inflatable cooler. That's what my roommate has. We can fit some beer in there and fit a bunch of Lunchables. Then you can wrap it and seal it and lock it. It'll float. Oh, it's watertight. Man. I've done it a bunch. It's a lot of fun. It's a great day. Yeah. And I, we're getting into that. I think next week it's still going to be freezing. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Don't get used to it. Yeah, that's insane. I'm insane fixing to shave weather. my beard, man. Yeah. I, I face sweat this week. I'm not. I'm going to let it keep going. Hey. I've gotten too many you know, compliments. Yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, Next yeah, time you... I almost did it today, but oh. I didn't have enough time. Yeah, that, we were talking about that last time. I think it's going to freak me out seeing oh, yeah. you without a beard. Oh, man. There's, there's a pretty young man under this mug. Mm-hmm. I'll let others be the judge of that. Uh, yeah, but then people run over me. Well, 
I mean, just on both counts, though. The, the prettiness, the attractiveness, and the youth. I'm going to let others be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see me be like, who is that? <laughs> well, and you know, you've been on the show. I usually do these silly stream of consciousness shows. We talk about whatever, but on my mind today are serious issues. Cool, man. I'll try to hang in there with you. Because, uh, you know, I'm watching this aftermath of the Parkland shooting, and it's... Um, it's what I expect. It's what I've come to expect in terms of the arguments people uh, present. And I tend to be very staunch. I don't own a gun. I'm not a big gun guy. I've been taught how to shoot guns and, you know, go out into the woods, shoot your 22s when you're real young, and start shooting shotguns and, you know, shooting skeet. And I killed a squirrel one day. Cool. And, you know, it's like that squirrel had it coming. That's what you get for getting in my way when I have a shotgun. There's enough of them. All right. And, you know, I. I've been deer hunting a few times, but it's never been like you come back with any meat. It's been more just sitting in the woods early in the morning, which is fine. But that's nice. One with nature. Yeah, maybe I'll go turkey hunting one day. Anyway, my point is I'm not scared of guns. I respect them for what they can do, and I've been taught how to use them, but I don't, I have never felt the need to go buy my own, like for concealed carry or for a shotgun at the house. We do, for those listening who wonder, we do have guns at the house, so don't show up <laughs> expecting us not to be armed. But I personally don't own a weapon. Um, that said, I am very staunchly for uh, the Second Amendment for all sorts of reasons. And uh, when I just look at the conversation, it's what we've come to expect, like I said before. Essentially, people... Some say, let's do a few compromised positions, you know, a more thorough background check or waiting period. What you find in some media places reporting this, it wouldn't have prevented the shooting, most likely. And that's with Sandy Hook, with the theater shooting in Colorado, with Loeffner and Gabby Giffords, with the Pulse nightclub, with all the shootings we've had. Most of the reforms put forward would not have prevented... The shootings, whether you're talking Diane Feinstein after Sandy Hook admitting that on the Senate floor, what I'm proposing wouldn't have stopped Sandy Hook because the kid had a 22. He takes his 22 and he shoots his mom dead while she's sleeping, then steals her Bushmaster AR 15, and that's what he kills all those kids with at Sandy Hook. It'd help a little bit, but it's not going to... Right. I mean, how do you prevent that? And, I mean, the mom should not have had weapons around this kid. And this is what I mean by it has to be not just common sense. Don't even think of the law. Like, common sense and looking out for the people around you. I mean, it. and here's my point, is if somebody is very despairing, very depressed, that's one thing. And you help those folks the best you can. But if they're despairing and very depressed, and they're expressing violent sentiments, whether towards themselves or the world in general, um, when they start saying things explicitly about shooting, take it seriously. Yeah, you kind of have to nowadays, because if you don't, this is what happens. It's like the, the girl in Vermont mm. that said something to her about her buddy. Yeah. I mean, at least she said something. Yeah, and a lot of people said something about this kid in Parkland, Florida, and nobody managed to do enough. But he has assaulted all sorts of people. Um, he'd made material threats against people. Um, I'm not sure what is... And another thing I want to make clear, when I talk about, at least when I'm talking about it, mental health, I don't mean just something you're diagnosed with. 
uh, or by a, an expert in the field of psychology or psychiatry. I mean, um, general problems that uh, I think have afflicted the human race time immemorial since the beginning. And there's a lot of times when people don't get diagnosed with anything and you right. don't know. Right, but evil is real. It, it, Malevolence is a real thing in the world. And so uh, people who were you know, living thousands of years ago were dealing with the same thing, maybe not the same technology, but the same reality of why do evil people, for almost no good reason, do these terrible, destructive things, not just to themselves, but to others. I mean, that's a long question that has troubled people. It's going to forever. Well, and there's... Uh, he's up there and history, especially in the Catholic Church, uh, Thomas Aquinas, he, at one point, and he wrote a lot, but he points out that any government that tries to get rid of all sin and suffering and vice in this world will probably create more of it. Um, that, yes, it's one thing to have compassion, but compassion doesn't get you all the way there. When people say love is a virtue, yes, it is, and it might even be the most important virtue. But it needs to be balanced by other um, other understandings and other virtues, and you know it's a. Also, in these occasions, you get people saying, "Oh, oh, we're Donald Trump is Hitler. Now let's have the government uh, heavily regulate gun use." Um, and it doesn't sound like a lot of mainstream Democrats necessarily calling for banning things. Some are. But this is the issue. There's a lot on the left that would like to ban guns and take away guns. There are others that are going to go for the possible, politics being the art of the possible. They're going to go for, um, you know, more background checks, maybe closing what is the so-called gun show loophole, which is really just, if I own a weapon, I could sell it to you. It could be a person-to-person sale. Um, but all this stuff, I think, leads to hyperbole. Trump's the new Hitler, or Obama was the new fascist or commie, and why he's Mao, he's Stalin, he's even Lenin. And all these like threats of America's become too decadent, and we're, the country's too overwrought. We have too many obligations overseas, too many obligations here domestically, we're in mountains of debt. Um, you know, what's the new tyranny on the horizon that never again, right? But my point of view is it's not. If tyranny or a terrible state comes to the United States, it's probably happening now. We don't even see it. And it's not going to be like, oh, Hitler took over or Mao took over. Uh, it's, it's not even going to be like Putin or the Communist Party in China or anything like this. It's going to be a unique American form of uh, what one famous writer called soft despotism. And I want to read something for you, Seth. It's a quote from this writer. You might have heard of him. Alexis de Tocqueville? Nah. Shoot me, though. Father of democracy. He came, he lied, I believe, to his uh, French benefactors uh, who paid his way to come to America. And he said, I want to review the prison system of the United States. He was this rich French aristocrat. And instead of actually going to all the prisons in the, the States, he might have gone to a few. What he did is he studied all the towns in the United States. And this is... Um, in the 1800s, so it's right after the independence of the United States, uh, still very early in the Republic. And he sees, why does democracy work? 
And in a nutshell, to take a very complicated topic, why is it working in the U.S. as opposed to, say, the French Revolution, where you got chaos and beheadings and a new emperor coming in? Why did it work in America? He says, well, there was a quality of conditions. A lot of people had uh, the same, like, type of life. They are farmers for the most part. Or maybe you're an artisan of some sort. But it's also the way people viewed the world. You might have different Christian denominations, but generally the way you structure your society is about the same in Maryland as it is in Virginia, as it is in New York. It's There is a common culture. So it's equality. And democracy works, he says, when it's very local. So you're not talking millions of people, let alone hundreds of thousands, you're talking like a Montgomery or Wetumpka, really. And even Montgomery stretching how big, I think, Tocqueville had in mind, but local, voluntary. So a lot of the stuff the government, through the democratic process, says we're going to do, probably would have gotten done anyway, voluntarily. And the government's like an official stamp. And then it needs to be infused with the spirit of religion or hope. And so Tocqueville's like, okay, Americans are incredibly hopeful, religious, compassionate people. They look out for one another. They have a lot of voluntary associations and organizations looking out for uh, their fellow man. And this is why it works in the United States. But he warns, could tyranny ever come to a country like this? And this is the quote. He imagines this type of tyranny. It's not Hitler. It's not Mao. It's not Stalin. It's not even North Korea or China. It's not Russia. It is unique. And I'm going to read and see if you think this has maybe come to pass. Quote, Above this race of men stands an immense and tutelary power, which takes upon itself alone to secure their gratifications and to watch over their fate. That power is absolute, minute, regular, provident, and mild. It would be like the authority of a parent if, like that authority, its object was to prepare men for manhood. But it seeks, on the contrary, to keep them in perpetual childhood. It is well content that the people should rejoice, provided that they think of nothing but rejoicing. For their happiness, such a government willingly labors, but it chooses to be the sole agent and the only arbiter of that happiness. It provides for their security foresees and supplies their necessities, facilitates their pleasures, manages their principal concerns, directs their industry, regulates the descent of property, and subdivides their inheritances. What remains but to spare them all the care of thinking and all the trouble of living? Thus, it every day renders the exercise of the free agency of man less useful and less frequent. It circumscribes the will within a narrower range and gradually robs a man of all the uses of himself. The principle of equality has prepared men for these things. It has predisposed men to endure them and often look on them as benefits. After having thus successfully taken each member of the community in its powerful grasp and fashioned him at will, the supreme power then extends its arm over the whole community. It covers the surface of society with a network of small, complicated rules, minute and uniform, through which the most original minds and the most energetic characters cannot penetrate to rise above the crowd. The will of man is not shattered, but softened, softened, bent, and guided. Men are seldom forced by it to act, but they are constantly restrained from acting. Such a power does not destroy, but it prevents existence. It does not tyrannize, but it 
compresses, extinguishes, and stupefies a people till each nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid and industrious animals of which the government is the shepherd. Wow. Turns into a bunch of sheep. You know what makes me think of? Fight Club. Mm. The all-seeing, all-knowing crap of the world. Yeah, it makes me think of Fight Club. I mean, because he created him because he was in that in that every day. I've got to get the new coffee table. I've got to get the. <laughs> I've got to get the uh, the lighting fixtures with the little bubbles in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's what makes me think of and where it that minimal uh, minimalizes everything. It gives you this you know, absolute. It makes you think you have the absolute power, but it's really the smallest little bit over here. Yeah, you know, I mean, they make you think you have something, but you really don't. Yeah, and then, gives you all these, I would say, shallow choices. Yeah, and not everybody wants that. I mean, I could see how a lot of people would. Well, and what I worry about is, okay, if that is going on, do people turn to something like Fight Club? Yes, exactly. They're and, creating a monster, right? And it's not the ninety percent you got to worry about that are doing what they want or that what you want, it's that other 10% that is thinking for themselves, and out of that 10%, it's that 2% that are in the corner with the 10%, mm-hmm. not with the other 8, you know? Right, and it can be even smaller numbers than that that can cause a big problem. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's... Well, and I just, um, so I look at the situation domestically, and I, I see that's... I thought of that quote I just read when I was flying into D.C. two years ago. That seeing the sprawling, not the suburbia around D.C. and Arlington, Virginia, but the once you get to the heart of the city and you're on the plane, you can see the sprawling bureaucracy underneath you. All set up, I suppose, with good intentions to provide people safety and their necessities, security and comfort. I get it. This is all coming from a you know desire for equality. It's coming from a point of view of being compassionate and helping people who are struggling. Um, but I worry if that's our drive, we will continue to uh, restrain the intrepid and, dare I say, people who would brave danger. And maybe those people will still exist, but they won't be celebrated. Um, What's interesting to me is after the shooting in Parkland, after any shooting like this, people go on all these tangents. Maybe it's the violent video games and movies that we watch. Never mind that, you know, people have gone to violent events for centuries, not millennia. All the way back to Rome with the lions and the Colosseum to uh, a few decades ago, people might have gone to a hanging. Or people might have set up picnic baskets to watch a civil war battle. I mean, people, for some reason, and that's a difficult question to answer. I don't want to do it all tonight. But there's something that we find entertaining about violence, and um, and there's it's almost a spectacle. Something different. So then you see people say, or oh, desensitized to this type of violence. That's why they bring up the video games and the violent movies. And my immediate thought is, I have not yet seen one person, maybe I'm not looking hard enough, but most of the people reacting to this shooting or anything like it are not desensitized. They're either very emotional or just almost speechless. What do you say in the face of something so evil? And it is really an ultimate tragedy. What would we say is, what could be the ultimate tragedy? It would be the most innocent person you can think of 
suffering the worst possible fate. Now, there might be things worse than being killed, but when you think of a kid, 19-year-old young man, who turns on other kids, uh, it's very tragic. It fits that bill of the most innocent suffering the worst fate. And it's even on the other hand with uh, the kids that were around what was happening, and they saw that happen to their friends. Yeah. I mean, that's that's terrible on everybody's level. Well, and... You know, that's why I'm, I'm not, with a lot of these kids talking now at these town halls, part of me wants to understand they're coming from it from a first-hand experience, and it's still fresh in the mind. They want to do something to where that sort of tragic thing never happens again. Again, great sentiment, but are we really, even if we confiscated all AR-15s, which isn't going to happen, but if, if that happened... I still think incredibly evil, tragic things would happen, and I worry that instead of running to the government or our elected officials to do something, we need to be looking to actual common sense solutions that aren't necessarily policy. Some might be changing the law, but I, I think more of it is we need to recognize life is getting better, generally. There are less deaths, less war, less poverty more options to life and how we can fashion our lives yet i say that if you you know look at the news now seth what would you do you think people are happy as long as you don't look at the news (laughs) (laughs) that's what i mean Uh, you watch the news and they're they're selling you some sad stuff besides a puppy you know and right it's uh, in general yeah everybody's happier and then it and those Families that you see, like the the one with the thirteen kids that were locked in the house, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's that's somewhere you would expect this kid to come from, right? You know, I mean, personally, I think it it comes from uh, mom and dad. I mean, well, he's he's adopted number one. How did they treat him? I mean, well, and the adoptive father died like eight, ten years ago. Mm. The mother died. In November of last year, oh, that's the adoptive terrible. mother. So I can't even. He, I'll put it this way: this guy fits the bill um, for somebody who's not only, I think, has some social issues. Like he's just um, socially combative. You're hearing that from students that went to school with him, fellow classmates. But it also sounds like he's going through the most tragic thing himself. Like not only do I not know who my real parents are. My adoptive parents have just died. And um, I'm, I'm telling everybody, hey, I need help. I'm screaming for help from everybody, and nobody's listening to them. Right. And they don't know how to deal with them. Yeah. Until he... Well, and again, that's where I don't like just saying, oh, he's just crazy. It's kind of like when people talk about Hitler. Oh, he's just crazy. Yeah, this shooter and Hitler are crazy. I think in a, by definition. But let's not say crazy as an excuse of... Nobody could ever be like that. Like, it's something so foreign to the 90%. I think anybody put in a terrible enough situation has the potential. They might not necessarily do it, but they have the potential to do awful evil things. And so let's look at evil as something very real in the world that we should strive to understand because it'll then be easier to combat rather than sort of stigmatizing evil with bumper stickers 
And then I, I worry that if that's our approach, when somebody actually evil comes around, we're all shocked and don't know how to deal with it. Desensitized to it, so when he really does show up, you don't know what to do. Well, it's not even desensitized. You're not even acclimated with real evil at all. You've never faced it. You're literally innocent in that regard. You've never actually sat across or been in the midst of somebody who you realize there's no reasoning with them. They're going to try to destroy me. It's a terrible place to be. Mm. Um, and so I look at you know this threat of soft despotism here at home, and I think a lot of that's happening because tragic events happen, whether it's a mass shooting or uh, a foreign attack or whatever it is, all the troubles of life. Like, I don't have a well-paying enough job, or I don't have a job at all, or the culture's changing, and I don't like how the culture's changing, or I want to change the culture, and it's not changing enough, and like, I, there's too much suffering, I want to get rid of it. I think if we continue to turn to political control and power, number one, we're not really going to solve those problems everybody's worried about. Number two, we're going to create a much worse problem nobody's actually seeing coming. Yeah, there's going to be something worse besides what is already happening. Man. And you're just never going to see it coming. See, but I don't want to do a show like this every yeah. night. Because yeah. it's not a happy-go-lucky topic. It's so sad. But it, my honest opinion of politics these days is, you know, I, you know, I'm following what's going on. Robert Mueller indicted Paul Manafort again and Gates. And mostly it's bank fraud and money laundering and false tax information that Manafort put forward. Didn't register that he was working for... Russian interest in uh, the Ukrainian government at the time. All this stuff. Okay, interesting. As Jeff Sessions and the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, Michael Horowitz, actually investigating leaks and past FBI investigations, people don't, people who think weren't on the up and up. Is that all going on? Okay, that's interesting. Tax reform. It was, I think, a win, but it didn't go far enough in my mind. There's but when my honest take of politics is more the broad strokes, is that are we forgetting um, or failing to recreate who we are on uh, the level of virtue, on the level of looking after each other as uh, individuals in a larger community? And as far as I can tell, national politics in particular is uh, only dividing us more and more. Where there are great ways to compromise and get to know ourselves better people instead go for the sound bite and for the fundraising letter and there's it's very difficult to have a conversation with somebody like how we're having one now or i'm more lecturing i apologize oh no you're i'm good, filibustering man. here but it's difficult to have a conversation with somebody um when you know in the back of your mind that person's trying to screw you over <laughs> maybe the best analog is like it's a it's a marriage with a divorce waiting to happen or a bad breakup or you know what i'm talking about folks well i i, I go to somewhere and i see somebody that i've never met in my entire life and it, you think that you see them and you know in the back of their head they have that oh there's you know the divorce in their back of their mind mm -hmm. well i take it in, in my hands to be like no it isn't you don't know so let's talk about this, and uh, maybe I can sway you to think it doesn't necessarily suck that bad. And people don't suck as bad as you think they right. do. It just it's so many pessimistic and not enough optimism. 
Right. I mean, people can be a little happy because I'm, I'm a friendly guy. I'll, I'm never meet a, somebody that's not a friend. But you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been through it. You get to some point in your life, you're so twisted for whatever reason that you can't even see a better horizon. Yeah, it's terrible. About every other week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's why I don't do shows like this every night because sometimes I like to have fun and that's why I listen to songs like, well, Lady Day and John Coltrane. Oh. So that is, well, the first song of the day coming back will be, well, I'll tell you when we come back. Oh. But for now, we're having a serious radio hour. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour alongside me, Seth Spotlow. So sit on back and enjoy the music for now. Joey Clark. listening to music. I picked it up this weekend. I'm digging it, man. It's, it's relaxing. I heard he we need it. Yeah. Now, most folks might know the Lauren Hill version of this, which is damn good, but I like this original Roberta Flack version. It's good stuff. Way better. Well, and um, apparently we've been too heavy, so Marianne's called in to uh, to lighten the mood up. Fantastic. I mean, I can't avoid talking politics all the time, though. Sometimes I have to tell the truth and what's on my mind and in my heart. But Marianne, what's up? Hey, good evening, you two gentlemen. How are y'all today? Uh, how are you? Hey, it's not a bad day. We did have some sunshine. We got some warm weather. I got shorts on. You know, makes you look forward to the summertime. Well, it's not a bad day at all, but, you know, sometimes no. a good day is a good time for serious issues. Well, that is too, but then, you know, it's like on the Sunday morning shows I've listened to the last couple of weekends, what John Huntsman said, tough times don't last, but tough people do. Got that right. You know? But in the meantime, the reason I called is because... Seth, you're here tonight, and you're a father of a daughter, and I'm a single parent of a son, you know. 
And Joey, you went to school with my son. Yes. So yes. I'm going to give you a funny story about school time. Okay. If you could come up with some too, I'm going to take you. I'm going to sound like the Golden Girls, you know. Picture this: 19. <laughs> but I'll go back to 2004. Okay. okay. And you know how the halls of that school is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's tape on it. And my son, he called me at an unusual time from that payphone. I used that payphone one time, Joey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing of it is that he called, and he's like, about noontime, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, a, I'm alerted at work. You know, I'm like, okay, this is an emergency. Okay, what's going on? Because we didn't have cell phones back then. Right. And and I think the phone call was up to a quarter. It was a dime when I was there. <laughs> but... You know, I'm like, okay, Mike, you okay? And he's like, yeah, Mom, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, what's going on? You know, he said, well, Mom, he said, when you get off this afternoon, when you come home, would you bring me some nerds? And I stopped for a whole second because I was busy as I'll get at it. Where I was mm-hmm. like, Mike, uh, I know I went to school there, too, and I know back in my time that they were there. They might be dressed differently today, you know. But don't you have some of those walking down the hall? Oh. No, he wants the Wonka candy. <laughs> Come on, Mom. Nerds. <laughs> He's like, Mom, it's candy. Yeah. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, did you get him his pack of nerds? Yes, I did. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a piece of a little single parent advice. Mm-hmm. If you're dropping off the child at school or if you're picking the child up, enjoy even if you're a married parent, this works, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is an awful thing to say. What I did when Mike started school was I turned the radio off in the car. And when I did, I would ask him a simple question. I would ask him, like, okay, well, who'd you sit next to today in reading class? And he'd be like, well, you know, I sat next to Abby. I'm like, okay, uh, who'd you play with at, uh, at, uh, one, at reset? Oh, I played with Matt, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, and after You're you keeping... do a couple of questions, they start to tell you who got in trouble that yeah. day, who mm-hmm. was absent, who, who went to the principal's office. Steph, I'm telling you, make notes there, son. Oh, I am. <laughs> I am. I talk to her. She can't talk the, back, but I try. You got to get the dirt. Yeah, but guess yeah. what? She will. Once she learns the word no and don't. <laughs> <laughs> She's got that no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, and to this day, Joey, mm-hmm. in all honesty, when it's just Mike and me in the car and the grandkids, his wife is not there, he turns the radio off. You Even in junior, in junior awesome. high, no, in junior high, when he went to junior, when he went the Catholic. I turned the radio on. But he would turn it off. And he would tell me about football practice and he would and Joey, you know that three D that three C D player thing that oh, was yeah. brought in with the speakers, the sound system. Yeah. That was my Christmas present from him one year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he was like, Mom, could we I'm like, Yeah, go ahead and take it, you know. <laughs> it's all right with me. <laughs> so, I mean, you do things like that, but but when you talk, you know, when you talk to the kids, please have some kind of sense of humor while you're doing it. Yeah. And just you know? keep tabs on them. Be interested in their lives, what's going Involved. on. 
Oh, oh it's not just that, but when you laugh, you take a deep breath, and everybody needs to do that every once in a while. Well, and it's good advice, especially in relationships. If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh, or else they'll kill you. Hey. That's I'm, I'm good at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marianne, thank you so much. And I need to come and listen to you, Seth. I'll be honest with you, okay? <laughs> Y'all, please have a good evening. And, Joey, thank you for putting up with me because I love you. I oh, love you too, thank you, Marianne. And I bye love bye. your show. Well, thank okay, you. Bye. bye. Well, that was sweet of her. That made me think of, uh, you know how people are nowadays. They're real sensitive and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not. You shouldn't be like that. You got to be tough, yeah. thick skin. Don't be you know. a wussy. Yeah. Okay. Like this. Um, Nanny Pamby. My birthday was last week. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I go to my mom's house and I knock on the door and yeah. I'm gonna tell her about the birthday party. Sure. Invite her. Well, I knock on the door. And the dog starts barking and I hear click. She blocked the door. <laughs> you know, and it's great. It's funny. You know, she didn't want to talk to me. You know. So she didn't want to talk, so she just locked the door. It didn't hurt my feelings. It's okay. She just wasn't in the mood. Wait, which birthday was this? No, this was... Uh, uh, no, how old are you? I'm 35. <laughs> That's maybe why. It's like, you're 35, you're a grown man. Well, I was just going by to invite her to the party. Right. You know? right. And, and which like, is sweet of you. Like, but... you know, and it, it, it's cool. It's funny. Ha, ha, ha. No biggie. <laughs> I'm not going to cry over a little little locked. Mom doesn't want to talk to me. She'll right. talk to me in a week. Sometimes they don't want to. And then the other day, uh, my grandfather calls me. I'm like, sweet. He's going to call me say, happy birthday. Rock and roll. Nope. Mm-hmm. Call me to make sure I'm not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa's getting scammed. and well, They're looking out for you. They call and they're like, hey, your grandson's in jail in Florida. So they're more likely to think I'm in jail. Well, it becomes tough love over the years. Hey, it's cool. No like, biggie. As you grow up, and the, at first they're like, you're you're so full of potential. You're so <laughs> full of hope, and you're so talented and smart and cute. I'm sure you're going to find a wonderful lover. Which, thank God, they've never referred to it as that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't imagine my aunts or uncles or mom or dad going, one day you'll find a wonderful lover. Uh, ew. Love her. You'll move to Verbena, and her name will be Wadawi. And that goes on for a little while in your 20s, but as you start hitting where I'm at, like 29, 30, I'm sure you've experienced this. You're like, when are you going to get on with your life? This radio thing. (laughs) You're not, you you got to, when are you going to give it up and get a real job? Like, go back to school. Go learn to work with your hands. I already know how to work with my hands. I don't mean work with your hands in that way. I hands, not hand. Hands. And, you know, they start looking at you funny. It's like, when the hell are you going to grow up, kid? Because childhood has been extended, I think, a bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, life's about, about working and hating a job and just keep on working. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. See, and I've been at two extremes, man. It gets down to, in most of the shows we've done, it's kind of personal chit-chat, what's going on in our lives, pop culture stuff, great music and movies, these sort of things. Hmm. I go from that to what might be considered frivolous stuff, but I think frivolous things are very important. Yes. Um, maybe I don't know the definition of frivolous then. Anyway, <laughs> then I jump to very important matters, things way beyond my control. Um, there's an article that came out yesterday that it's under, I think, a, um, a pretty bad headline for what it actually goes into. It's by uh, James Stavridis. He was the uh, 
supreme commander of European forces or allied forces. He's the head of NATO for a while. He ran U.S. European Command and Southern Command, four-star admiral. He's retired now. He's on the head of several boards and academia and whatnot. And it's called low-yield nukes are a very high threat, which, yeah, well, nuclear weapons are a threat. I get that. But in this piece written for Bloomberg, it's actually a very well-put-together survey of all the geopolitical threats that are out there. And he starts it off by saying there's a brilliant book tracing the origins of the First World War, The Sleepwalkers, How Europe Went to War in 1914. This is from a guy named Christopher Clark. Um, The protagonists were sleepwalkers, watchful but unseeing, haunted by dreams yet blind to the reality of the horror they were about to bring into the world. And if you do put it in historical context, it was the richest the world had ever been. Classical liberalism had swept the world, at least the Western world, and the prosperity was never before seen in human history. There are even people talking about maybe we've become so prosperous and progressed so far that war is gone. And then the First World War happens. We sleepwalk into it, and it took a 100 years, essentially, for us to get back to the same per capita basis. Is that where we are now? Yeah, we finally, I mean, we have better tech than we did in 1914, but just general wealth. How much wealth, how many lives were lost, millions and millions in that first war. And without that first war, you probably don't have Hitler in World War II. You don't have the decimation of Germany, at least the rise of Hitler. No, the Germans were crazy, too. They're the ones that brought us nationalism. Um, Anyway, Stavridis goes on to point out, are we sleepwalking into another possible war, but this time with nukes. And this is coming from the Munich Security Conference over last weekend. And, you know, he points out Lindsey Graham suggesting a European version of Guantanamo Bay to deal with terrorists coming out of Syria, or Benjamin Netanyahu holding up a piece of uh, alleged Iranian drone in front of the Iranian foreign minister's face going, recognize this? Like, it became almost cartoonish, and uh, Stravitis goes through this and lays out all the particular hotspots, geopolitically speaking. Uh, in one paragraph, he goes into the details, but these are tactical disagreements to him. Great and medium-sized powers are increasingly at odds. The eastern Mediterranean, around where Turkey is and uh, Africa and southern Europe, the eastern Mediterranean is full of U.S., Russian, Turkish, Israeli, Iranian, Syrian, and NATO member maritime Patrols, with occasional forays from China, India, into what we now know is a hydrocarbon-rich corner of the world. Oh, crap. There's a lot of natural gas in the ocean, which means people might fight over it. The same is true, hydrocarbon-rich, in the South China Sea, where the U.S. and China are squaring off as China builds artificial islands and claims the vast bodies of waters as its own territory. And really, if you're a history buff on the United States, it's akin to the United States claiming the entire Gulf of Mexico. It's a lot of territory, but China's starting to feel its oats like the United States did around the turn of the 20th century. Russia blithely interferes in the U.S. presidential election, and the West continues with strong sanctions on Moscow. Uh, The Arctic ice is melting, which is opening up rich shipping lanes. And there's this big tech race for, what is it, icebreaker rigs. Off, and the U.S. doesn't have one of them. 
China is developing their own infrastructure. It's called the One Belt, One Road Initiative, creating new ports, highways, dams, and other vast infrastructure projects across Asia, essentially connecting what one old geopolitical strategist labeled the world island. You could connect all of Asia and have some maritime, some naval ability in, say, like the South China Sea, you'll, you'll run the world. The amount of people, the amount of resources. And so I just step back from all this, and what China's doing is sharp power. It's a blend of kind of hard military threat and soft power, which is economic aid and diplomatic overtures. And Russia is a failing empire, writes Stravitis, um, which is a truly dangerous entity. And if you look at history as well, anytime an empire is failing, like the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the beginning of the First World War, they're really a paper tiger. So I stepped back and I focused at the beginning of the show on domestic stuff. And I plan on probably having fun tomorrow night talking to Emily about South Sounds, and I'm going to continue to talk about sex and dating and religion and all the funny things that happen in our lives, like your mom shutting the door on you, <laughs> um, just giving you the cold shor- shoulder because you are a grown man, your birthday, wonderful. Well, no, it's cool. But these topics are in the back of my mind, and um, check out this article by Admiral Stravitis. Uh, it is, again, called low-yield nukes are a very high threat, but it is about more than just nuclear weapons. Though the details about nuclear weapons within this are very um, unnerving. That people are moving towards uh, tactical nukes again, which could mean that nations those weapons are fired at, you say you're firing a conventional weapon. It's still a big bomb, but it's a conventional bomb. But the enemy knows that you can also, from that same platform, say a submarine or a ship, fire tactical nukes. At that point, they have to make a decision. Is that a conventional bomb or is that a nuke? How do we respond in kind? Mm. Uh, You have strategies coming out of Russia called nuclear de-escalatory escalation. So say NATO gets too close to the Russian border. The idea is Russia will set off in the Arctic somewhere a big nuclear bomb, essentially saying, don't F with us. That's supposed to de-escalate the situation. Like a warning nuke? Yeah. Wow. That's a Crazy way to do it. Crazy times. And like you were talking about in the beginning, you know, back in, what was it, 1912, when they were at the, the peak of prosperity? Right. You know, things just, you know. We could sleepwalk into another thing, but at that time there weren't nukes. We now have nukes and a global economy and this thing called the Internet, which has made our universal language or lingua franca essentially confusion. Like so many people in their own little bubbles talking past one another. And so for me, it is about what are you doing to foster virtue in your own life? Have a little fun in your own life. That's, I think, the most important thing. But we should also, folks, have the ability to step back and uh, have a grown-up discussion about some of the bigger trends going on, because I think these are the most important trends, and if you understand the world better and it doesn't sneak up on you, whether it is a tragic school shooting or a nuclear de-escalatory strike that is also escalatory, it's very confusing. When these things pop up, um, it's best not to be surprised to at least have some understanding so we can move forward with a clear mind clear vision 
I'm trying to learn something about it. Thanks, man. I picked a great time. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a serious mood today. Oh, no, it's great, man. I'm learning. Yeah. I always learn stuff from you. Well, I love hanging out. We're going out with a song called Suzanne. It's off Roberta Flack's album, Killing Me Softly. This is just the instrumental part of a nine-minute song. Wow. When music was music. Oh, this is good stuff. So sit on back, relax. Maybe put on some Berta Flack, some Lady Day or John Coltrane. And enjoy life, even when serious things surround you. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow night. Thank you, Thank you. Sam.